Well, good morning. It is great to see you guys. Welcome to Seacoast Church. My name is Josh Surratt. I'm one of the pastors here. I want to welcome those of you that are here at Mount Pleasant Campus in the chapel uh, or the warehouse. also want to welcome all of you that are joining us from uh, all of our off-site campuses uh, on the internet. We're glad you're here. In fact, I know several of our campuses had to drive through snow to get to church this weekend, which it's November. I don't know what's wrong uh, with, with the scene here, but let's give it up. Like Asheville Campus drove through snow to get here. Let's give it up for our Asheville Campus. We're glad you guys are here. I'll tell you, everybody, you guys look great. You look like you got an extra hour of sleep, uh, which is awesome. I kind of got built up around an extra hour of sleep. And then I realized when you have young kids in the home, that's, it's garbage. You don't get more sleep. Uh, and so I don't know what's up with that, but it's, you know, we're here. We, we were here an hour early. That's good. Uh, but I'm excited about what's happening this weekend. We often get a chance to invite, invite and introduce you to friends of ours, uh, people who we serve alongside and ministry with. And uh, this weekend, we've got a friend, Pastor Brady Boyd, who is with us. He's been with us before. Some of you may recognize him, uh, but he connects with, with Seco so well. We love him. He's become a very close friend. Pastor Brady uh, pastors a church called New Life Church out in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Great church, and uh, they're doing great things in the community there. In fact, some of us, we've done the Thorn here at the Mount Pleasant campus uh, in years past. It originated out at uh, New Life Church, and they, they just do a lot of great ministry out in Colorado. But he wrote a book this year, and when we read it, it's called Addicted to Busy. Some of you are like, uh-oh, he's going to get in my grill this weekend. Yeah, it's Great book. We read it. Uh, we, we wanted to share it not only with our team, but I think it's so powerful, this concept that Pastor Brady talks about in the book that we wanted him to come and we wanted him to share with you guys as a church. And uh, we do have copies of this book. Um, the, the good news is we've got a bunch of them. The bad news is that they're in a FedEx warehouse uh, somewhere up in North Charleston. So We'll have them next weekend at this campus and at all of our campuses. It's a $15 book, but we're going to sell them for five bucks just because we think it's so important that we uh, all, all take it and, and get a chance to process what he wrote. But listen, he's, he's out in Colorado, but he's a Southern boy. He's from Louisiana. So would you guys help me give Pastor Brady a good Southern welcome as he shares with us at Seacoast? Pastor Josh, thank you. Thank you so much. Hey, I, I want to apologize for bringing cold weather with me, all right? I mean, I, I mean listen, I, it's 65 and sunny at my house in Colorado right now. And uh, when I left, this is a true story, yesterday I'm flying from Houston, and the, the pilot comes on and says, hey, by the way, the weather in Charleston is really, really nice, clear sky, it's going to be an easy flight. Three minutes before we land, he comes on and goes, I don't know what happened, but the weather has really gotten bad here in Charleston. And they, so we land, and apparently your airport has not discovered how to connect the plane to the terminal. So <clears throat> y'all should work on that. I know you're like the second most powerful city in the world now, apparently. So uh, getting the plane to connect the terminal is probably the next step. Anyway, so, so we got off the plane and had to walk through the rain into the, into the uh, terminal. But I'm not complaining. But let me tell you whose fault this is. It's your Pastor Greg's fault. Pastor Greg did this. Last week, it snowed at my house in Colorado, and I put it on Instagram, and Pastor Greg made a smarty pants comment back to me. He said, oh, it never does that here in Charleston. hope that winter weather is, you know, is not terrible for you. And he's been a little bit of a smarty pants. As you know, Pastor Greg is known to be at time from time to time, right? And I love him to pieces. And, I, and I, so I think this is just God getting even a bit. Because God lives in Colorado and visits everywhere else. Y'all know that, right? 
All right, now that you like me. Anyway, thank you, Pastor Josh. I, seriously, we love Pastor Greg at New Life. He has come and spoken there many times. And we love Pastor Josh. I love the family here. I love the church here. Your influence, the Seacoast influence, is known and felt all over the United States and around the world. I, I know you probably know this, but your influence, what you do here, resonates around the world. And I love coming here because I, I leave encouraged, I leave learning things, I, and so it's a joy. And I, uh, you know, there's an old saying, and I believe it to be true, that you're stuck with your family, but you can choose your friends. Have you noticed that? Well, I'm family, so you're stuck with me, okay? So you can't do anything about it. I like the arrangement, and you will get used to it, all right? All right, <laughs> open up your Bible to two places, Matthew chapter 11, Matthew 11, and Luke chapter 5. And I'm going to speak today about the Jesus rhythm, the rhythm of life that Jesus models for us. And it's so clear in the scriptures when you pay attention to it. Before, as you're turning there, I want to say a big, uh, a big well done to the congregation here for your engagement into the foster system here in the state of Colorado, in the South Carolina. Um, back in 2008, I was sitting at lunch with Jim Daly. He's a member of my congregation. He's the president of Focus on the Family. We're sitting in a restaurant and really just there just to say hi to one another. <clears throat> and out of that conversation, he said, you know, Brady, there's 850 kids in the state foster system in, in the state of Colorado, which is a pretty low number, 850 kids who are eligible to be adopted. There were a lot more kids in the foster system, but 850 of them could, take, could go to new families. He says, Brady, there's 3,500 churches in the state of Colorado. And he said something that just my heart awakened. He said, why don't we be the first state in the union that has no kids waiting to be adopted? I said, all right, let's do it. Just like that, like that was going to be easy. Well, a few months later, we hosted at the time what, what, what at the time was the largest single gathering of uh, parents uh, interested in adopting foster kids. About 1,500 prospective parents showed up at a meeting that we held at the church, blew us away. We expected a few hundred and 1,500 showed up. And that started a movement in the state of Colorado. So here we are in 2014, a lot more kids have come into the system. So we're seeing net gains every year. And that number now is down to under 200 kids in our state, in the state of Colorado. <laughs> so uh, even at New Life, over 100 children have been adopted out of the foster system into our congregation. And it has radically changed uh, us as a church in a good way. James 1, verse 27, has become the rally cry, the anthem of our church. And James 1, 27 says, Pure religion, undefiled before God and the Father, is this, to take care of the widows and the orphans in their distress and to keep your heart unspotted from the world. That is the heart of Jesus. And I just want to say, for those of you who are praying about adopting children out of the foster system or adopting children, period, for those of you who are willing to support those families in their process of adoption, that is the heart of Jesus, and it is going to, the blessings of the Lord is going to come in a fresh new way to this congregation for saying yes to that kind of assignment. And I want to say thank you for saying yes to that. We have seen the blessings of it. It is a joy to do it, and it's really hard work. But the Holy Spirit is with us when we do good things, right? Amen? Amen. All right. So what, I'm so glad this message ties into that, this message I have today because I believe all of us in this room are, probably fit into one of two categories. You're either here because you're curious about God. Uh, I don't see any protesting going on. So apparently you're here today because you're curious about God or you're committed to God. 
You're committed to following Jesus. So you're curious with some questions, or you're committed, and, 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 and you're probably busy. Because that's really the reason committed people, people who are following Jesus, I, I've been following Jesus now for over 25 years, I know that the number one reason for myself, and probably for you who are committed, the number one reason we don't get involved with the foster system, or it's foster, you know, adoption, or foster care, foster support, or taking care of the poor in our city, or leading a small group, or whatever it is that you know is a good thing and you should be doing it, the number one reason is because we're too busy. That, we don't have margins. We don't have built-in time or space or margins into our lives to really do anything else other than what we're doing already. And, 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 and I would say, if you're like me, the things you're busy doing are good things. They're not bad things. It's not like you're out foolishly using your time. You're probably busy with children and work and school and being married and business. You know, the job that you have is probably consuming you like it is for most of us. But I want to say something to you as a pastor, and this has been a journey, a painful journey that I've been on for about 20 years now, and I'm finally discovering some revelation and some health and some healing uh, from this, this, this problem that I think we have in our culture of, of overcommitment and saturation of our time. I believe most of our problems, not all of them, but most of our problems, are either caused or made worse because we're moving too fast for too long. Now, I want to, let, me, let, me, let me give you three examples. I believe most of the problems in our marriage, if we were honest, most of the problems in our marriage are because we're moving too fast for too long. It is really hard to be intimate and friendly and kind to one another and develop a lifelong commitment in marriage when we run past one another in, in, a, in a perpetual state of chaos. My wife and I, we just celebrated 25 years of marriage. Uh, I know, I, and I really appreciate you knowing, I, I can feel it coming back from you. He does not look old enough to be married 25 years. I felt, thank you for saying that. I felt that right away from you, and I want to say thank you. You're right, because we got married when we were 12. I'm from Louisiana. Very, very, very common there. It was a, it was a scandal of the seventh grade, but we have made it work. We have made this work. Uh, actually, we were in college. So, but I know this for Pam and I, uh, most of the problems in our marriage is when we go too long without having, listen very carefully, an unhurried conversation with one another. Intimacy in marriage happens when you have regular, consistent, unhurried conversations with one another. In fact, most of us, if we are even having a date night... Those date nights have turned into management meetings. <laughs> come on, come on, is there, let's take all our church masks off in here, right? Because that's what happens. Okay, now what, what's the, what are the kids doing on Tuesday night? Uh, I didn't know that. Well, I put it on the calendar. You didn't see it. Well, I know, but the calendar was, changes every day. What are we doing on Thursday? Well, well, 10 o'clock, I can't be out there. That's what date nights turn into, like syncing up the calendars. And it's a problem because of time, margin, space. And then think about the mistakes that we've all made with our money, right? Money problems. If you look back and really gave an honest evaluation of the times when you lost money, like made foolish decisions, it was probably because you got in a hurry, did not do due diligence, didn't do enough research, or you made the decision when you were tired. 
Come on, amen. Anybody amen in here? Some painful amens with me, okay? In fact, you know, marketing research companies have discovered that there is one particular hour in the 24-hour day, there's one hour that people are most prone to making impulsive, unwise, rushed decisions, online, especially online. You know what that hour of the day is? 9 p.m. to 10 p.m. Now, don't look at your wife because this is both for men and women, okay? Men and women both make these, these mistakes. And marketing companies know that if you get that email in your inbox around 8.55 for that last-minute deal of the day, you are most prone to clicking and buying from between 9 p.m. and 10 p.m. because we're tired and we're in a hurry and we're willing to take shortcuts with our money because of the lack of space and the lack of time. Now, also, all the men in the room, we all know this, uh, every, every study has proven, every spiritual study, the Bible proves, every man in this room, we need friends. We need men who are friends in our lives, all of us. We know as men that we are best when we have three kinds of men in our life. You ready for this? Men, write this down. Every man in this room, you are at your spiritual best when you have three groups of men in your life. We need fathers. We need men who are older than us to speak into our lives, to show us the way to go, to be mentors to us. We need brothers, men who are kind of in the same season of life that we can live life with, ask questions about things. And we all need other men, younger men, that we're speaking life into, that we're helping and discipling. Every healthy man I know who's really thriving in their walk with God has all three of those groups in their lives at some level. But the problem with that, the challenge with that is what? Can y'all talk here? Are y'all allowed to talk in church? Okay. <laughs> I'm going to suspend the old rule, and we're going to establish a new rule today. You can talk back to me, all right? All right, so what does that require, though, to have those kind of relationships? Time. And who has time for all those kind of friends? Pastor Brady, I work, I have children, I am married, I, and, and so I, I've got to find time at least once a month to work out, <laughs> whether I want to or not. So where do I have time for all these dudes? You know, I don't have time for that. So here's what men do. Men leave lonely, isolated lives because they don't have time for those kind of relationships. All right, there's two reasons why we stay busy, okay? And write these down. There's two reasons why we make those kind of choices. Two things. If we are busy, I have found, if we are busy, we feel important. A lot of our worth, our value, depends on how busy we are. I mean, if you ask somebody, hey, what you got planned this week? And you go, you know what? I have a lot of time to linger this week. I've got a few things, but not a lot. I have some chill time on my hands this week. Now, it doesn't sound like, number one, you're very smart or, or very important, like nobody wants to be with you. So if we're busy, it seems important. Well, uh, I'd love to have lunch with you, but, you know, I, that my first lunch is like four weeks from now. And, uh, and you better get that on, I better get this on the calendar now because that thing's going to be taken pretty quick because a lot of people want my time. A lot of people want my attention. I have to be at a lot of places because I'm kind of a big deal. Right? That's what we all want to feel. If you're important, if you're busy, you're important. There's something much deeper than that that goes down into our, our psyche, into our hearts, though. 
if we slow down, if we slow down, we'll have to be honest with what's really happening in our, in our lives. You see, busyness has become our business. Chaos has become our medication in, our, in this culture. And so I can ignore the broken places of my lives, of my life. I only have one. <laughs> Let's not get theologically off track here. I can ignore the real dark places in my heart if I stay really, really busy. Because I don't have time to sit with the Holy Spirit and the scriptures open in front of me. I don't have time to sit and allow the work of God in my life. I give God a passing glance. I show up at church exhausted. I rush in late, I leave early, run out to the parking lot, continue into my busy schedule because if I ever slow down, I know if I ever look in the mirror, I'm not going to like what I see. So I ignore the mirror altogether, the work of the Holy Spirit altogether, by staying really busy. All right, go to Matthew chapter 11, because Jesus offers us something much better than what I just described. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, it says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. <clears throat> Do you think that's a promise or a suggestion? It's a promise. So if I said, come to me right now and I will give you $10, I just made a promise that I have to deliver on, right? Now, I'm not going to give you $10, so don't come up here, all right? <laughs> but Jesus says, come to me. Let me be the first option when you find yourself exhausted and tired. Let, come to me first because I really am the one who can give you rest. I will give you this rest if you want it. And then he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. All right, let's stop and pause. There's only, there's only two ways to learn from another person. And Jesus says, learn from me as a person. He's, he's a human being here on the earth, fully God, fully human. And he says, learn from me. There's only two ways to do that. You listen to what they say, and you pay attention to what they do. When those two things match up, that's you, then you know that's a person you can learn from, right? Those are people you can learn from. So Jesus says, listen to what I say, Pay attention to what I do. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And then he gives us the promise for a second time, which is like God shouting at us when he repeats himself, right? And you will find rest for your souls. He's pleading with us. So this is Jesus talking. But what did Jesus do, really? I mean, it's fun for him to stand on a pulpit, tell people how to find God's rest. But did Jesus really do that? I mean, he had a lot going on when he was on the earth. It seems like Jesus uh, could have been the, the best workaholic ever because he had the whole world to save. Did Jesus really practice what he preached? All right, go to Luke chapter 5. Thank you for asking. Let me show this to you, okay? Luke chapter 5. So, now you know Luke 1, 2, 3, and 4 sets up Luke chapter 5, not to be Captain Obvious, but Luke chapter 5 is, has been set up by Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4 is the story of Jesus going into the wilderness, being tempted. He comes out of the wilderness. Read it at the end of Luke chapter 4. It says that he comes out of the wilderness after that temptation, full of the Holy Spirit. He then enters into his public ministry in Luke chapter 5. And everything is going amazing. I mean, Jesus has never been more popular than he is right here in Luke chapter 5. Look at this. Luke chapter, we're going to read verses 15, 16, and 17. Verse 15, 
Yet the news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. Now, let's put this in your context in your world. Pastor Brady, I would love to take a day off and rest, but my business is going really, really well right now. Or my school is really demanding. Or I am a single mom, and Pastor Brady, I would love to take a day off, but my three kids don't take days off. You just said that a minute ago, and I thought it was a perfect example. I know exactly. I just came out of that season of small kids. But yet Jesus says, no matter how busy you are and how popular you've become, how demanding your world is to you, Jesus gives us something here that's really fascinating to me. So there's crowds of people that have come to Jesus and they all need healing. So in a business term, you have customers beating your door down and they're all ready to buy at full price. This is not a time to take a day off, right? This is a time to push in, push harder, push go. Go, go, go. Our culture says work, work, work. But look at what Jesus did. Remember, pay attention to what he did, not just what he said. Verse 16. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and he prayed. Right in the middle of a busy, chaotic time, Jesus often, on a regular basis, rhythmically, withdrew to lonely places and prayed. It doesn't say how long. It may not have been but a few minutes, a few hours. It may have been a few days. But often Jesus found himself. Now, I just, I've just found real quickly that there's two rhythms that if you would just embrace these two rhythms, your family, your marriage, your home, your kids, your own soul could greatly improve if you would just do two things. Number one, Sabbaths are for rest. Do not ignore the Sabbath. You cannot afford to ignore the Sabbath. You cannot afford it. I promise you. Your body at some point will catch up to you and say, hey, you've ignored the Sabbath for three years. I need three years worth of Sabbath. Your body will require the Sabbath out of you because our bodies are wired to live in rhythm. Put your hand on your heart right now. Put your hand on your, which is right over here on your left side, okay? Put your, right there in case you didn't know. Feel the rhythm of your heart. Beat, 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 beat. The rhythm. Your breathing. Pay attention to your breathing. Rhythm, pace. Rhythm, pace. Sabbath was designed to give you physical separation from the things that are causing you stress and chaos, to allow your body to recover, to restore itself, to, to allow the presence of Jesus, the presence of the Holy Spirit, to come into the place. Sabbath is when we separate ourselves and allow Jesus to come into the space that we separate. So I, I create space so that God can come in. That's Sabbath. So I'm not, I'm not a legalist. Read the book. I really go into this in detail. But I don't believe in legalism, but I do believe in being purposeful. So pick a day. If it's Wednesday, great. If it's Thursday, great. But pick a day and make a decision as a single person or as a married couple or as a family. This is the day that we're going to do the best. We're going to unplug and we're going to allow God into, more purposely into the space of our home. We call them at our house bedhead days. Now, I'm married to a southern girl. She does her hair no matter what. But for me, <laughs> it's a bedhead day where we, we have things to do, 
We have things to do, so I'm not a legalist, but it's where we create space for God to come in. Sabbaths are for rest, and there's no substitute for the Sabbath. In fact, most people have substituted this next thing for the Sabbath, but it wasn't meant for rest. Vacations are not for rest. Vacations are for recreation. It's not for rest. And if you don't believe me, take your children to Disney and let me know how rested you are when you get back. Man, that was the most restful time I've ever had with a couple of toddlers at, at Disney. Whoo! I'll never do that again, honestly. Ever. You know, right now, though, vacations are when families, I call them remember when moments. This is when families create fun environments to reconnect with one another. Sabbaths are when we reconnect with God. Vacations are when we reconnect with one another. And we substitute, well, we haven't really taken a day off in six months, so let's go on a vacation. Well, that's great to reconnect with your family, but it's not where you reconnect with God. And Sabbaths were meant to focus on God and, and, and in that moment with the family but vacations are when we have fun and reconnect with one another and create remember when moments at my home. But right now in America, 40% of Americans are not even using all their vacation days. In fact, this year, 2014, Americans will have 300 million unused vacation days. And what is created in our culture is what therapists are now calling the work martyr complex. Where this busyness has become a badge of honor. Oh, the rest of you go on vacation, but I'm going to stay here and make a few more widgets. I'm going to sell a few more things. And when y'all come back, guess who's going to be the leader? I'm the leader. You're going to be looking at me at the top of the leaderboard because you went on that vacation and were a slacker, but not me because I have a badge of honor. I am going to show up early and work late and not take a vacation because I'm determined to be successful. Well, meanwhile, mom and the kids or dad and the kids... They just want to have fun and, and reconnect with each other. But we've made work our God. God has become work. And busyness has become our badge of honor. And that's not what Jesus modeled for us. He says that he often withdrew to lonely places. A place where you can disconnect. A place where your cell phone doesn't work. A place where literally it's you and God. Single moms, I'm telling you, I've heard this story. I, I, we model this at New Life. I've had so many single moms come to me and say, Pastor Brady, when you told me that story, I was mad at you because I don't have lonely places. It's the bathroom, the only, the only place I have in my house. And most of the time, they're pounding on the door while I am in there. I understand that, okay? I had a, we just got out of that season of our life. But I told them, pay attention and look for the lonely times in your life because they're there. And I've had single mom after single mom come tell me, you know what, Pastor Brady, it was only four minutes, but it was, I was totally alone with the Lord today. I saw it for the first time. It was four minutes of glory where I, it was me and Jesus. And then the door, they started pounding on the door again, all right? But <laughs> there's lonely places where God wants to connect. And look what happens to lonely places. And then that's where he prayed. Well, let me tell you how you can know how good you're doing with God, okay? It's a good litmus test, a good barometer for all of us. How hungry are you to withdraw from the chaos, the world, the, this place that we call home, world? How hungry are you to withdraw from that to a place where you're disconnected from that to meet with God? 
How hungry are you to be with the Lord? This is how I keep myself accountable. This is how I make sure I'm living from a place of rest and a place where my cup is full and spilling over. The, the Jewish people call it the Kiddush cup, the, uh, where the cup would spill over at the meal and what was spilling over onto the saucer is what they would use because it's, it's, that's, that's the place that God wants to use. The Kiddush cup was a place that spills over and what spills over is what you're supposed to use in your life, but the cup is always supposed to remain full and it was a beautiful symbol of always being in the presence of God, making sure that you were full of God and the full of the Holy Spirit, full of the scriptures so that whatever God called you to do, whatever assignment you're in right now, was there, there was an, you were working from an overflow and not from a deficit. This is how we can tell if we're doing good with God, is how hungry I am to withdraw, to be with him. And he did it to pray. And go with me to Luke, the verse 17, okay? We're going to end here. Now look in your Bible, because probably 15 and 16, if you have a printed Bible, like I do, or even in your digital Bibles, there's probably a separation between verses 16 and 17, right? Like the, the header, like the, the right, whoever organized the scripture said, okay, a new story starting. So they separated verse 16 from verse 17 with some kind of heading or separation, a paragraph of separation. But I don't think they're supposed to be separated. I think that's a mistake. Verse 15, Jesus had a crowd of people come to him. They all needed healing, yet there's no mention of any healing happening. It doesn't say that Jesus went and healed them. He said there was a crowd of people that needed healing. No mention of Jesus laying hands on any of them and seeing any healing. There may have been, but Luke doesn't mention it. Verse 16, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places to make sure that his cup was full, his life was full. Verse 17, one day as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law who had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem were sitting there. Let's pause here. Some of you who are running businesses, don't, you really don't believe that the business can thrive without you. But let me say this. I've, I've, I've come out of the business world. I was in the business world before I became a pastor, okay? So I understand both worlds very well. I, I started businesses, sold businesses before I became a pastor. If your business cannot survive without you, then God doesn't own the business. God, if God started that business, if God owns that business, then God will run the business. He does not want you to burn out and destroy your family for the sake of the business. So walking away for a day, an afternoon, a Saturday, a Sunday, is a step of faith on your part and it's a radical declaration saying, God owns this business. God is the one that started this. So therefore, I can step away and make sure I, I remain a healthy and whole person. And that, that I don't become the workaholic that destroys my family. I trust God with this business. You're the one that started it, Lord Jesus. You're the one that gave me this job, Lord Jesus. You are the one who blessed me with this, Lord. So as an act of faith, I am going to walk away from it for a few hours a day so that as a declaration of faith that I really believe what I just said. Notice that the crowds are back. Jesus withdrew to a lonely place and prayed. When he comes back in verse 17, the crowds are right there again. They didn't go away. Your business is not going to struggle if you take a day off. In fact, it might increase 
Let me show you this, okay? Look what he says at the end of verse 17. He says, there were crowds of people from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. They were sitting there, and the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. No mention of that in verse 15. Crowds of people came, all needed healing. No, no mention of the power of the Holy Spirit there. Verse 16, he often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Verse 17, crowds are right there again. Crowds are back. But this time, something was different with Jesus. The power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. Now, why did Luke tell us that story? I'm going to give you one sentence, okay, then I'm finished. We're going to pray together. One sentence. When God is present in our rest, he becomes more present in our work. When we take a radical step of faith and welcome God into our rest, and when we put ourselves on a mission to discover the rest of God, he then becomes more present in our assignments during the week. You want God more present with you at your work? Make him present in your rest. You want God more present with you when you're in school? Then withdraw to a lonely place and make him more present in your rest, and then he'll be more present with you in your assignment. That's the truth. It took me 20 years to discover that. 20 years of a lot of pain. But I am living now, and I'm really, I work hard, and I'm super productive, but I'm really rested at the same time. There is, it's possible to work well, to rest well, to work well, and to rest well for the rest of our lives. Can I pray with you about that right now, if you're willing to say yes to at least exploring that idea with me? I want to pray for you. Father, thank you. Thank you for the gift of rest. And Father, we come today by the help of the Holy Spirit with our hands open wide. And Father, we say yes to the gift of rest. We welcome it. We want it. And I pray right now the blessing, the Jewish blessing, Shabbat Shalom. I speak that over you. Shabbat Shalom over every person listening. At every campus, I pray Shabbat Shalom. May, may, the, may we find God in our rest, and may we find rest that God promises. Shabbat Shalom. May we find God in our rest, and may we find the rest that God has promised us. In Jesus' name, amen.